0: You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. It's amazing, isn't it, how much we pursue other things. We think something else is going to satisfy and going to fulfill us. And um, man, what a reminder tonight. Great truth. If you will, Galatians chapter 5 this evening, or I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 3. And as you're turning there, um, in your bulletin, just want to make you aware of something that we're adding tonight to our observance of the Lord's table. If you'll notice on the last inside page that's in white, so you see some announcements on this page here on the left. You'll see tonight that we have a brief responsive reading that we're going to do right before we observe the Lord's table. So hopefully you have the bulletin with you tonight. If not, you can pick uh, peek off the page of someone near you, but I will lead us in a brief responsible, responsive reading that will kind of be what transitions us from our invitation time or prayer time of preparation uh, and then into the observance of the Lord's Supper. And so uh, that's something new tonight we're adding. So just make a note of that, if you will and be prepared to read out where it says um, there's the leader and then there's the church family response. Uh, Be ready, if you will, to participate in that. All right, Galatians chapter 3 this evening. We're going to begin in verse 15 and work our way down through the balance of the chapter and uh, study on the text as well as how it brings us to preparation for uh, the Lord's table tonight. Verse 15. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but of man's covenant. Yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. We're talking about how grace and the law, the promise to Abraham, how all of these things intersect uh, around the grace of God. Verse 16, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not into seeds as of many, but as of one, into thy seed, singular, which is Christ. In this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law, it was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come, that is Christ, should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator." Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. We'll unpack these verses in just a moment. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded, all are under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith, which should afterwards be revealed." And then this familiar analogy in Galatians, verse 24, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as of you as have been baptized into Christ have been put on Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And so we've been looking at the grace of God plus nothing, adding nothing to the grace of God. And of course, tonight, as we prepare for the observance of the Lord's Table, we don't want to in any way convey a vibe of sacrament. Um, that there's some means of grace in what we're about to observe or something else that we add to the grace of God. And so I'll look at tonight grace reasoned, and I love how Paul reasons through this tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these songs we've sung together. Thank you for our young people and then ministering to us as well in song, the practice and the passion, Lord, they put into um, ministering to us tonight. Thank you for that. I pray now as we open your word and we consider it, and uh, seek to prepare our hearts and minds for um, observing these uh, symbols of the precious realities of your body and blood. Um, I pray that you would um, stir us, that you would challenge us, you would grow us. And Lord, if there be something in our life that is a hindrance in our fellowship with you, I pray that you would allow us to recognize that, to repent of it, and to uh, be drawn back and, and even closer to you than we've been before. Bless this study, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Grace reasoned. Um, Some of you were not in the service this morning, but I was talking about the fact that my wife was giving me a hard time about my excessive yawning. She added the word excessive um, to, we had some discussion this afternoon, as you would guess, with me bringing that up publicly. I didn't yawn once, and I still got in trouble today, I think, a few times. But um, somebody sent this to me this afternoon, kind of to help maybe comfort me. Uh, said, quote, some scientists believe yawning regulates our brain temperature, or I have yet to validate this, but this, this, I think this has to be true. Uh, A yawn cools the brain, so maybe, pastor, you're thinking so much that you need to yawn to keep your brain from overheating. Doesn't that sound very valid (laughs) to everybody except my wife who's in the nursery right now, probably? Yeah, right, buddy, okay, she knows my brain too well to know that it's not overheating. Um, It's funny to me how often we view theology and our relationship with it uh, in a way that really isn't as reasonable as we think it is. And what I love about the Apostle Paul here is he confronts this false teaching in a way that's not just uh, emotional, it's not just trying to work up a crowd or work them into a frenzy, but very reasonably presents logically the relationship between God's law and God's grace. And may I say to you tonight, far too often our beliefs about grace as well as other things that God has revealed to us, we often view it in an abstract way where we need to have a more reasonable outlook uh, as grounded in uh, the Word of God. And so we're going to look at how Paul reasons out um, that we are saved by grace through faith, not through the keeping of um, the law. All right, so let's talk about quickly today or tonight three reasonable conclusions about grace. And I hope Uh, If you're taking notes, you'll use the bulletin outline here to help us kind of track together this evening on our study. So let's talk about grace reason. First of all, let's talk for a moment about the reasoned permanence of faith, the reasoned permanence of faith. Any of you, any households represented here tonight who hide certain treats and snacks from each other? Do you, does any, does that resonate with any of you, especially if you have teenagers in your house like we do? Uh, or sugar-addicted you know, addicted, uh, dads or father figures like our house has. Um, I heard a wife who said, I, she was trying to describe herself as a wife, and she said this, and the type of wife who will help my husband look for his chocolate that I've already eaten, I will actually <laughs> help him look for it. Okay. Now, what we're going to gather tonight around this table, the, the Christ that we're gathering in his name, we can, unlike maybe our family, we can trust him okay? He's worthy of our faith. And I think one of the areas where we struggle with our view of God's grace, this is just being very blunt tonight, we treat God like he's the other people who disappoint us, the other people who fail us. And our hesitancy to go all in on trusting in the grace of God alone is because, to be honest with you, we don't trust God as much as we claim we do. There's a self-reliance. There's a a protectiveness that often hinders us from uh, abandonment, if you will, in faith and trust uh, in the Lord. And so this Lord that these these elements picture tonight is more than worthy of our faith and our confidence. Briefly tonight, look at verse 15 and 16. Let's talk for a minute, first of all, about how we need to understand, if we're going to reason the grace of God out in our minds and hearts, we need to understand, here it is the covenant of permanent grace. So he talks about this idea of a covenant. If you go back to verse 15, Paul says, Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or terminates or changes it or addeth thereto. And so uh, we understand that even in, in covenants that are between two people, two human beings, once it's signed and sealed, there's no changing that document. And if, if we have those kind of covenants with others, uh, then obviously we can trust that God will fulfill his obligations. In verse 16, he begins to talk about this covenant of grace. Look at verse 16. Now to Abraham and to his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as in many, but as of one, and to thy seed which is Christ. And so these promises spoken to Abraham and his seed were not fulfilled before the giving of the law, they were fulfilled after the law was given uh, through Jesus Christ, the seed, singular, who would come, which is the Messiah. And what Paul wanted these Galatian Christians to do is to turn their ears away from false teachers that would drag their eyes and hearts away from uh, Christ to trusting in and believing in themselves. At some point, we have to choose between trusting in the cross of Jesus Christ or trusting in ourselves. It's that distinctive, that choice. And we come tonight, and we come each time that we gather as a congregation, and we come before God on our personal walk, and we have to choose between, am I going to trust in myself or what Christ has done for me? Um, and if it's grace plus nothing, it must be trust and faith in the cross of Jesus Christ. In fact, the promises that God gave to Abraham precede the law. Israel was a nation which was to rely upon God's promise, not just upon their own compliance with the law. And so we as Christians must do the same. All right, verse 17. And this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. Number two, understand the promise of permanent grace. So it's a covenant. Number two, it is a promise from God himself. And in verse 17, God's promise to Abraham is described as unconditional. It did not depend upon works whatsoever. God simply gives to Abraham the promise of the seed, And Abraham, though he didn't even have his own child, he believed God's promise that through him would all nations be blessed. He believed in what God had promised. And it's interesting, these numbers that are given 430 years after, um, between when the promise is given um, and when the law uh, is given, this gap of time. The coming of the law 430 years later could not affect the promise of salvation that had come so many centuries before. It could not revoke the promise nor add conditions to it. And the 430 years, if you add them up in your head or have some sense of chronological sequence, are reckoned from the time that God confirmed the Abrahamic covenant to Jacob as Jacob went down into Egypt in Genesis 46 and verse 1 through four, and then extends this 430 years to the giving of the law, which was three months after the exodus on Mount Sinai, 430 years. And the promise, think about this, the promise of God's grace preceded the law by 430 years. Um, And so we see clearly that the promise is what God led with in his relationship with man, specifically with Abraham. The law was only one aspect of it, In the far future. And so we see clearly this distinction between the promise and the law. All right, verse 18, for if the inheritance, (laughs) excuse me, that we have through Abraham, if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. And so he says, listen, if we're setting aside uh, Abraham's faith and our subsequent faith, then what we receive from God does not come through promise. It comes through what we do in relation to the law. And I remind us now, many of our young people have not been in on this study on Sunday nights, but he's dealing with the Judaizers, right? Who are trying to bring um, these Galatian believers under the law. These who, contrary to what God has revealed here, were trying to convince them to obey the law as a means of gaining inheritance uh, into God's salvation to be a part of his people. And so God confronts that uh, here in the text. Um, And I just give you briefly a summary, I don't know if you've ever read the study of where Abraham and God enter into the covenant. Do you remember that? Where there's a deep sleep that falls on Abraham, there's a bunch of animals butchered up, split in half, and in that story you have Abraham who is asleep and then you have God who walks through the midst of these animals that have been literally dissected and God walks between. It's a really strange passage when you first read it. If you understand the culture of that day, a covenant was made between two parties where they would do that very thing. They would take different animals and they would, they would slaughter them and they would split the animals exactly in half and create a pathway between them. And the two parties that were covenanting to each other, they would walk through those, those halves of those animals. And the, the, um, what was being uh, inferred or being kind of alluded to was the same happened to me. If I fail to comply with this covenant we are making, what's happened to these animals, let that be done to me. What's interesting though about the covenant between God and Abraham is only one person walks between those animals, right? Abraham's sleeping, God himself alone walks through. And so the covenant rests not upon what we do or don't do, it rests upon the character of God, his promises to his people. Isn't that so freeing tonight? Um, not not in license, but in liberty to rest in and to rely upon the promises of God. Everything that we have from God is only ours because God promised it and God delivers on it. We don't earn it. We don't keep it by something that we do or don't do. These promises rest in the grace of God. And so we have this sense of promise that is given. In fact, later God did die to deliver on this, this covenant, did he not? His son. Um, And so we see clearly the parallels between that tradition of the covenant in Abraham's day and how God presents it through his promise to his people. Um, I was thinking of of stuff that sticks or perseveres, and I remember growing up, we had some uh, friends of our family that my parents have known for a long time. I live in the Mansfield area, and she just texted me recently. Her husband just passed away. Dear family. But they had kind of a quirk, they were quirky people, and I mean that in the best way possible. It's probably what we were friends with them, the Snowd family. And um, in their kitchen, they had, so their, I can't visualize all their kitchen. I just remember off to one side of their stove was a wall that had this really funky texture to it. I, shared, I don't know if I've shared this story before, where they would, when they, we always had spaghetti when we were there. That's how I remember this. And they would take the spaghetti after they boiled it and the way they knew if it was done is they would fling a spatula. Have you heard of people doing this? Fling it up against the wall. If it's stuck, it's done. If it doesn't, run it another couple minutes and then do it again. And I remember watching them do that. And then what they would, they they didn't clean it off. They They would just run through a few months of spaghetti for however many meals. They would paint over it and start over again. And so there was this weird like 3D texture to it that was just very interesting, okay? And I just, I remember that wall for some reason. It, it stuck. Can I say to you tonight that what we're about to observe for the umpteen time for many of us, and for some, maybe this is your first observance of the Lord's table. For the last several thousand years, nothing has changed. In fact, we could go back further than a few thousand years. It has always been by grace through faith because of the promises of God, not the performance or the of. La- thereof of God's people. It rests in his promises. And so may we gather tonight with that confidence in the promises of God and the permanence of uh, our faith. All right, go to verse 19. Let's spend a moment here as well. Wherefore then serveth the law. What's the point of it if it doesn't save us? It was added, Paul says, because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was ordained by angels in the hand of Of a mediator. All right, number two, let's talk for a minute. The reason, purpose of the law. Um, Look, if you will, here, verse 19. So we see in this text that there's a, there's a, there's a, um, there's kind of some wording here that's a bit confusing, but if you'll stick with the process of Paul's reasoning, you'll see here the purpose of the law. Paul begins to unpack. So basically, the question is this: Is the law then of no purpose? What? Why did God give it if it does not save us? Uh, so he begins to give to us two answers uh, of to the question: Why then does God give us um, the law? Um, somebody was talking about: Have you ever been in a situation where someone's trying to be in charge and no one's listening to them? Um, it, 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 it makes me feel like I can commiserate with them now and then. No offense, but there's times that, hey, I, I think I'm in charge, or at least I thought I was, but nobody's listening. And um, Someone had this description. I think this is good. Someone said, morality without God is as weak as a traffic law when the policeman is on foot, okay? Like, a policeman on foot is going to have a hard time enforcing those laws. And the same thing is true with the law of God. Without God, without him in the mix and his purpose in it, the law is of no uh, significance. And so here Paul talks about the purpose of the law. All right, let's talk about two things that we would not have that are really gifts from God if we did not have the law. Number one, jot this down. Understand the conviction of purposeful grace. So God uses the law to bring conviction where we feel sorrowful. We realize we've fallen short of God's standard. And so the purpose of the law is a a gift from God in that it brings to bear in our hearts this conviction. The law was added to what God had promised. It was not to replace the promise or to replace um, the grace that God had offered to Abraham. Uh, And so the law was given Uh, to us uh, through the ministry of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting how here God says in verse number uh, 20, I'm sorry, verse 19, that it was given through angels, was the mediator. And then verse 20 goes on to say that unlike the law, the mediator of grace is God himself. So it wasn't just angels or secondary intermediate folks or agents. It was God himself. Isn't it interesting how often we are prone to build our spirituality, so-called, on anything less than God's grace, out of self-sufficiency and pride? And we think we've arrived when actually we're settling for far less than what God promises his people. Uh, And so we see here that the law was not given to make us feel good about ourselves, but to make us feel convicted where we have fallen short. All right, go to verse 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid, for if there are If there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. This is a key verse tonight in context of our observance of the Lord's table. So Paul says here, Did the law set aside the promises or take their place? Certainly not. Because if it could, God would have never sent his son, right? If there was a way for us to be justified by the law, then why would the body and blood of Jesus Christ been given for us? God who knows better than anyone what it would cost To extend to us grace plus nothing here reminds us that there was no other way. All right, verse 22, But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. And so the Old Testament, as it progressed, showed that all men are sinners, and that included those who were under the law or the Jewish people. And it was necessary for every person to be convinced of sin and then to reach out for the promise of salvation by faith through Jesus Christ alone. Look at verse 22 again. And notice a couple of words. By the scriptures have concluded all under sin um, that the promises by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Notice the last half of the verse. The promises by faith might be given to them that believe. In that verse, we see the words faith, we see the word given, we see the word believe. Nowhere do we see doing, not doing, or law-abiding citizen kind of vibe. Everything we have is only ours because it's been given to us as we're willing to believe and trust in what God has revealed to us. And so the law was given by a gracious God, listen, not to replace grace, but to make us acutely aware of how much we need grace. And so we can rejoice in the law, Yeah, it condemns and it shows us how far short we come, but it also then causes us to cry out to God for the grace. That to be honest with you, without the law, I don't know if I would have ever realized I needed it. I don't know if I ever would have turned to God without the conviction and the challenge and the rebuke often that was in my life through the gracious law of our God. And so Paul here says, listen, the law has a purpose and that purpose is to bring Conviction. In fact, on your own time, you could read it, but in Romans chapter 7, Paul, prior to his conversion, makes this statement in Romans 7 7 What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. So Paul himself says, I would not have known my sin. I would have never reached out and received Christ without the law, that he knew frontwards and backwards. I was listening to a podcast recently where the lady was talking about how to become a more effective speaker, and there was just a little nugget in there that was very helpful to me. And she said, what a lot of times we do in our teaching and in our, even maybe in our parenting or our counseling, is we're giving people vitamins. Like information, I don't know, like if you skip a day with your vitamins you know, I don't know if you feel guilty about that or not, but you might be okay if you skip a day or two, okay? Don't tell anybody I gave you that little nugget, okay? Don't hold that against me if something happens. But uh, your vitamin is, yeah, it's needed, it's a supplement. And she was saying a lot of times what we're, we're teaching and what we're giving to those we influence is vitamin material, and she said what we need to be giving people is painkillers. Like, you skip your painkiller that is properly prescribed, you're going to know it, Right? And can I say to you tonight, the law is not a vitamin kind of concept. It's reminding us of the gnawing pain and the emptiness we'll always have until we reach out for and receive by faith the grace of God alone. And I'm grateful tonight that God has given us such a purposeful law. All right, go to verse 23. Let's talk about a second purpose of the law. That is so important as we experience relationship with Christ and his grace. Verse 23, but before faith, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. All right, number two, understand the preparation of purposeful grace. So it convicts us. Number two, it prepares us to be ready to receive the grace of God. Um, The other day, somebody sent me this little submission to Reader's Digest. It was a lady who had just become, uh, she was working in a nursing home uh, facility. Um, She said, it was my first night caring for an elderly patient. This just cracks me up thinking about this logistically. When he grew sleepy, I wheeled his chair as close to the bed as possible, and using the techniques I learned in school, grasped him in a bear hug, to lift him onto the bed but I couldn't clear the top of the mattress so I grabbed him again summoning all my might and hoisted him onto the bed so she goes through all this wrestling with this patient trying to get him into bed Uh, when the night shift nurse arrived she recounted uh, she told the lady what she had done and the night nurse said that's funny kind of looking puzzled usually I just ask him to get in bed and he does (laughs) just thinking about the guy kind of half what are you doing half waking up Um, maybe a little more preparation or training needs, at least ask the gentleman before you bear hug him into bed, "Do, do you need help or something to that effect? Aren't you thankful that God doesn't just, he doesn't just reach out and grab us with his grace, he actually prepares us to be able to receive it. And one of the ways that he does that is through the ministry of the law. It prepares us to receive the grace of God in a way that we can absorb it and apply it. And so verse 23 here, he talks about this faith, which is the the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and the preaching of the gospel from Pentecost forward and this age of faith, this age of grace. And God prepared the Jewish people to be ready to receive that in this time and in this way. Uh, Verse 24, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. Um, and so the law here is is pictured as a tutor or a schoolmaster. Um, in, in the culture of this day, they were called uh, pedagogues, is actually the word here, uh, would have been the, the Greek word that would have been referenced of this, this individual. They were uh, often very strict discipl, disciplinarians. Uh, they were charged with guarding the children from the evils of society and giving them moral training and upbringing, um, and so Paul uses this analogy that the law's function was to to train us and to bring us up until we were ready to receive, by faith, the grace of God. If you can go back to your conversion, I don't know, for those of us who know Christ as Savior, do you remember early on as you kind of wrestled with, I've fallen short of God's glory, and you want to please Him and have a relationship with Him? Many of us began that journey by trying to fix ourselves, Right? I'm going to do right, and, and we made some emotionally charged decision in a camp meeting or a church service, and I'm going, to, I'm going to get victory over my flesh, and all of that is preparation for the moment of being a recipient of the grace of God. We come to the end of ourselves, right? And without the law, I don't know that we ever would reach that point, point. and so the law prepares us to be ready uh, to receive this gift of grace that God has offered to us. Um, And so in verse 25, he says, but after that faith has come, we are no longer under the schoolmaster. Um, And so we are now free from that. We have been delivered from that. Verse 24 teaches that man is not justified by the law. Verse 25 teaches that law is not the rule of life for the one who is justified. We are free from that. One gentleman put it this way. There are two ways to read the Bible. Listen, I love this. There are only two ways to read the Bible. It's basically about me or it's basically about Jesus. What I must do or what he has already done. And so the word of God, the law of God prepares us to believe in what God has done for us. And everything and everywhere that you are this evening, all that you are is only because God has prepared you and brought you to this point to either already be a recipient of his grace or to receive it um, this evening. All right, lastly, number three, let's look at these last couple of verses, beginning in verse 26. He says, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Lastly, let's talk for a minute about the reasoned position, the reasoned position of the believer. Number three, the reasoned position of the believer. Paul here now um, is emphasizing the position of every believer justified by faith uh, through the grace of God. Uh, All right, let's talk about two things quickly. Number one, understand the inclusion of position in grace. It includes us. So he goes from we to you. Did you notice that Um, in verse 26? Ye are all. So now he's speaking to the Galatians, not just we as in the Jews, but all of us are the children of God. Verse 27, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have have put on Christ. This exalted position as the children of God means to be clothed with Christ. Um, I don't know if you can imagine, this is kind of a crazy illustration, but can you imagine if we all dressed up like babies tonight? Whatever that looks like in your head, don't go too far with that in your imagination. I'm thinking like the, the onesie pajamas with the footies in them. Just picture everybody in this room wearing those right now, okay? Um, just for a second, then come back to me, okay? Um, I'll try to do the same. Um, you know what's interesting about the legalist is they think they're the more mature person. I, I, I've, I've, I've a, I'm, I'm at a different level than you peons. Listen to me. The most immature view of God, His law, and His grace is legalism. The mature uh, view of grace uh, is that which frees us and that which grows us and matures us. In Roman society... When a youth came of age, he would be given a special toga, which admitted him into the full rights of the family, the state, and indicated that he was a grown-up son. So the Galatian believers here, Paul says, have laid aside the old garments of the law, have put on the robe of Christ's righteousness, which grants them full access to God. Why would they go back to baby clothing when they were under the tutorship, if you will, of the law? So leave that behind, brethren, and lean into the maturity and the the inclusion of God's grace that positions us as sons, full-grown sons maturing in the grace of God. All right, verse 29. We'll come back to verse 28 as we land tonight. And if you be Christ, and if you will, since you are Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And so the Galatians here are being challenged that they are not to become Abraham's seed by keeping the law. Uh, Paul says here they are a part of Christ's seed by faith through grace alone. That's all it takes to inherit all of God's blessings. So tonight, may I say this to you, there's no religious hoops you have to jump through to observe this table, to enter into the realities of what it represents and symbolizes. You have to simply receive God's grace by faith alone. There's nothing else that's required. It is grace plus nothing. All right, let's end tonight in verse 28, and we see a second reference to our position, and I love this verse. It's been often misconstrued in our day, but some rich truth here. Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Number two, understand the unity of position and grace. Understand the unity of... Of positioning grace. I don't know if you've ever been in a restaurant, I'm thinking especially of a restaurant, and there's some obnoxious brat that the parents won't rein in. Maybe it's your own kid, and you've just given up. I don't know. But the other day, I'll show you the picture, and then here was the caption, all right? So here's a couple of gals laughing. Here, here was the caption. When that annoying kid running around the restaurant finally hits his head and starts crying. <laughs> Isn't that so just Twisted that picture there. You ever had that? You kind of s- smirk inside. Finally, the kid got what he was deserving. Sh- yeah, you want to cry? You want to whine? There's something to cry about, okay? That's just, that, for some reason, that just cracked me up thinking about that. Um, can I say to you tonight, the meal that we're about to deserve should not have that feel to it. It's not you got your issues and I have mine and there's divisiveness and kind of we, we're done with each other. We could do less with each other. We prefer not to be around each other. The grace of God, listen to me, when it's right, always bring God's, brings God's people together. I always get nervous by those who divide and conquer with their so-called doctrine. Now, should we divide from false teaching? Yes, but I'm talking about with others who sincerely are trying to follow Jesus Christ and we're pitting them against one another. That is not of God. That is not of grace. Uh, that's moving in the direction of these who are trying to infiltrate these churches in Galatia. And so the gospel has these social implications. It brings us together. And I just briefly, in verse 28, you see first he talks about cultural barriers. There's neither Jew nor Greek. In this church, no one culture should be dominant. The moment it is, we begin to lose the clarity, the clarity and the understanding and appreciation of God's grace. When we make it about one culture, And so Paul here is confronting those trying to dominate with their Jewish culture uh, where there is not to be a a cultural barrier in the church. Inside the church, we should associate with and love one another across every racial and cultural barrier. The grace of God always produces that. And if it's not, something's off in our understanding of it. Uh, Number two, he says also there's neither bond nor free. This would be class barriers. Uh, People should not associate as they do in the world. Isn't the world all about class warfare, always pitting? I mean, the elections, aren't you sick of it already? Well, I stand with this group and and, and they're the ones that are not being treated properly, pitting uh, us against one another. Uh, In the church, that should not be true. The poor or the modestly paid worker must not be made to feel inferior in any way. There's some in this room that you're you're of that social class or that economic class and you should feel welcome here and others of like uh, pay and status should be the same. Sometimes it's the other way. The well-off are, are looked down upon and, and, and marginalized in ways they should not be. And so despite our differences in class bar- classes, there should be no barrier between us. And then the last one, this would be the one where sometimes this verse has been misapplied, but it says there is neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Thirdly, there should be no gender barrier in a grace-assembled and fueled uh, community. Now, of all the things that Paul could say, that was probably the most revolutionary. Um, Females in this day were treated like a possession. Um, They were manipulated and controlled and often used as pawns in different uh, economic plays or ploys of the men of this day. Uh, what a revolutionary thought that there is no distinction in status because of the grace of God between a man and a woman. Um, just today, it blessed my heart to walk out and see several gifts on the table as we're giving, loving on a foster child that Jen and Hans have welcomed in their home that would be categorized as underprivileged. No matter where a person comes from, the grace of God ought to fuel us to minister to all people, right? Um, And so the grace of God is key to maintain that unity in our ranks. Uh, To abandon it is to compromise that same unity. And so our unity or lack thereof will be in direct proportion to how much we are trusting in the grace of God versus personal merit, personal identity. Uh, May we allow the grace of God to set the tone as we observe tonight. You and I do not need legalistic props or procedures to attain position freely offered to us by faith through grace. Where are you tonight, living, trying to prop up your own position or asking others to do the same before God and in the church that needs to be abandoned? And so we see tonight the Lord's Supper is a reasonable uh, gathering, reasonable because it is built upon the grace of God, not the law of God. Question tonight and we'll pray, give you a moment to process God's truth in your life as we prepare to observe tonight. Will you choose to live in grace plus nothing by appreciating fully the reasoning of permanence of faith, purpose of the law, and the position of the believer? Let's pray together. Father, thank you tonight for your word.